Amen. Again, to the family, we extend our condolences, family and friends, uh, in your season of loss. And of course, it is our great loss as well. Uh, so as church body, we offer our prayers and condolences. Thank you, Carl, for stepping up and providing great service and music. And we are grateful to our deacons who have continued to, uh, to serve, as Brother Hill mentioned. This is part of the extension of the family of, of the body of Christ to go out and commune and fellowship with those who are not able uh, to, to come out. And uh, Peggy, what a wonderful friend. Uh, she came, in, in fact, when she first came, when Mary was uh, hospitalized for an extended period, I believe Peggy was about to relocate, but because of Mary's situation, she delayed her move so that she could tend to help tend to her and to her business. And she came in, and we had a wonderful talk, and uh, just appreciated that kind of love being extended to our sister. And Diane, thank you again for being such an example of pure love. Pew love. That's, that's what God unites us in the family. And uh, Diane was always ready to bring a report and, uh, of, of what her status was. Um, and over almost 40 years of, of, of preaching, and, or 30 some odd years of preaching and uh, pastoral service, uh, funerals are never easy. <laughs> for those that love the Lord and for those that you have the privilege of serving with and some are harder than others and uh, this would be one for me uh, she was a dear sister in the Lord she was everything that everyone has said she was sweet, she was serving uh, there was never a time I think of Sister Mirison would have events at her home and invite us over for dinner and there was never a time when we were at her home when Mary was not there smiling and serving and there was never a time uh, I think of the decoration committee I see Sister Blunt and others and, and there was never a time when decorations were taking place where she was not serving and wherever she was serving she was smiling so we, uh, we've been enriched by her fellowship and her love of the Lord. Now, people have merry stories. I have one, and um, it's, see, Peggy, I wasn't even going to say what it was. All I was going to say is over the years, I shook Mary's hand twice. Once was the first time. At which point she declared she would never shake my hand again. Now, I would say when you get to heaven, you can ask her why. But Peggy is here, so she'll tell you why. She declared that my hand was too soft. So a few years went by. And one Sunday, she was so excited about the sermon she had just heard, she came to the door and she instinctively 
reached out her hand to shake it, shake my hand, and then she said, oh, I forgot I'm not supposed to shake your hand. So in lieu of a handshake, we had a fist bump. And every time, wherever we were, when she was in the hospital, I went to go see her, and I went, hugged her and kissed her, and she said, just because I'm in the hospital, that doesn't mean we get to shake. So I am just grateful for having known her. Our scripture, because eulogy means to speak well of, and your presence here and everything that everyone has already said speaks well of Mary. And, but I'm on not for eulogy, I'm on for the message. So I want to just take a few moments um, to consider a passage of scripture somewhat briefly, but there are a few things that we'll look at. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 5. For we know, excuse me, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this thing, this very thing, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now before we look at the passage, what I want to do is offer three uh, preliminary presuppositions concerning death. Uh, so we want to, before we address very briefly and in a superficial surface sort of way, the text that we've just read, I want to offer three preliminary uh, presuppositions about death. The first one is this. Death, as it is depicted throughout scripture, is depicted as being different for those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. It, we all die. We know that we all die. But throughout scripture, uh, death is depicted different for those who are in Christ versus those who are not. There are two Old Testament passages that summarize the whole of scripture's teaching in this distinction. In the first place, in Psalms 116 verse 15, the psalmist says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. So it doesn't indicate that the saints of God will not die, but it does indicate that the death of saints is viewed differently by God than he views the saints or the death of those who are not his. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1 says this, that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. And again, that can't be true for everyone. Mm -hmm. Those who go from this life to eternal judgment, the day of their death is not better 
than the day of their birth. It's, it's actually worse. So that statement is only true for those who are in the Lord. So the first thing that we see then as a preliminary presuppositional statement about death is that everyone dies and everyone may die differently. But the scriptures depict the death of saints as being different from those who are not in the Lord. The second thing that we a presuppositional or a preliminary presuppositional statement about death is that in, the, in his death on the cross, Jesus has removed the sting of death for all who look to him by faith. In his death on the cross, Jesus has removed the sting of death to all of those who look to him by faith. In fact, it's expressed in the New Testament is he has rendered death idle. So it's not that we don't die, but it's but but death for those who look to Christ because we share in his death, which is the language and logic of Paul in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 where he says that we have shared in the likeness of his death. Or in Colossians 3 verse 3 where he says of Christians you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. So for those who look to Christ by faith, he has removed the sting of death. Very much like a mother who is back in the days before you could buy fillet of fish, you had to buy fish with bones. And a mother who wanted her children, she wasn't giving them baby food, they were eating table food. And so what the mother would do is go through all the fish and take out all the bones and then give it to the child. Now, we're sitting here as adults. We have to fight through those bones. But the baby whose mother or the child whose mother who has carefully gone through the fish has removed all of the bones. Same fish, different result. And so likewise, for those who are in Christ, who look to him by faith, what Jesus has done on the cross is he has, he has tasted, as Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15 says, he has tasted death for us. And, and, and so that's one of the reasons, by the way, that we do not fear judgment. We don't fear judgment after death because we know that he has taken our judgment for us. So therefore, death is not traumatic. It really doesn't matter how saints go out of here. It doesn't matter if we sleep away. It doesn't matter if we go by way of a disease. It doesn't matter if we die in a plane, a fiery plane crash or an automobile. It is still the sting of death is removed. The physical pain is there, but the sting of death is removed because beyond how we go, Here's what we know. We do not face a wrathful judge. We do not face that because Jesus has tasted that wrath for us. In fact, in Hebrews it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who, it, who has the power over death or the power of death and that is the devil and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
John Owen has written that in the death of death, he's written about the death of death in the death of Christ. And so therefore death is given back to us having been rendered idle. The sting has been removed for all of those who look to Christ by faith. And the third presuppositional or preliminary presuppositional statement is this. The resurrection of Christ confirms and ratifies what his death has accomplished. The resurrection of Christ. In other words, we're all just whistling through a graveyard if the grave of Christ is still occupied. But because he was bodily raised from the grave, then what we know is that everything that was intended by his death has been accomplished. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. And if Christ has not been risen, then you or your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. So because we know that Christ is risen and we know that the grave is empty, then here's what we know. We know that his death has accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. And what his death was intended to accomplish is the payment for all of our sins. We are told in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And none of us can pay that payment and still walk out. Only Jesus paid the payment and then walked out with the receipt. So therefore the resurrection confirms and ratifies everything that Christ has accomplished in his death so that those who look to him no longer fear the sting and pain of death. Now with these presuppositions, I would suggest that our text, in our text, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers. And he's writing to believers in order to supply them with a Christocentric understanding of death. A Christocentric understanding of death. Now that's it's it's interesting how how sanctified people get in depth. It's it's interesting. We 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 send up timber, we 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 talk about everything, we have birds flying away, and we talk but but we ground our, our view of death has been shaped by a whole lot of stuff. But what Paul wants us to do is to shape our understanding of death based on what Christ is and what he has accomplished. So we're not talking about, you know, God needed somebody so he plucked. No, that's, that's nonsense. No, he didn't, he didn't need another rose in his garden. Amen. He, or if that were the case, he would have made us roses. He, he didn't need another flower in his garden. No, heaven, heaven is, 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 a, is, is, is now, it, it, there's a beauty that's been added to heaven in the presence of our dear sister. But God does, didn't get lonely and say, okay, I'm just going to take her. She's not speaking back to us. This is not about Mary. In fact, one of the things that I love about Christian funerals, it reminds me, I'm a big sports fan, and it reminds me especially of basketball. And in basketball, you know, when you have, in the, if, especially in a championship game, and the, the, a team is up by a lot of points in the final minutes of the game, the coach starts replacing players. And here's what he'll do. He'll let players go back out on the court so that they can be called off. 
and then the fans can recognize them as they walk off the court. And he gives them an opportunity, it gives the fans an opportunity to express their appreciation for all that they have contributed. And, and, and that's what God does. That's what he does with saints. He, he sometimes calls us home. And he, it's like the coach calling us off the court, call timeout, and then he calls Mary home so that all of those who have had the Mary experience can stand and say, amen, thank you, God, for Mary. And then she joins the bench of the rest of the people who are on the team. So, so now she's in Hebrews 11. She's in Hebrews 11. And God allowed us the privilege of, of sharing in her and, and, and sharing and, and having access to her gifts. But it's important that we don't look at death through the lens of our experience or our emotions or through the pagan culture that surrounds us. Paul gives us a very Christocentric understanding of death. And he does it for two primary reasons. One, he wants to strengthen us in our service in a dying world. You see, we'll, we'll see some of the conflict and the contrast that he shows in the text. But he wants to strengthen Christians for their service in a dying world. And secondly, I think he gives these words of exhortation so that we would be sustained as we possess the gift of eternal life in bodies that are decaying and dying. You see, not only are we in a dying world, but we are in dying bodies. And so Paul wants us to, to have a Christocentric understanding of death. And so I just want to touch on three things that he addresses here are three aspects of his statement here and then give a concluding thought. The first thing is this, the confidence that Paul has about what happens to Christians when we die. He shows a tremendous confidence. Look at the way verse 1 opens up. He doesn't say, for we hope, nor does he say, for we guess. Nor does he say we would like it to be. But here's what he says. For we know. Amen. Look at the, the emphasis here. This is an emphatic declarative statement. We know that when our earthly tabernacle or our earthly home is destroyed that we have a building. So Paul says we know. We know. And what is it that he knows? He knows in the first place that this earthly body will be destroyed. Now, there are brands of Christianity that says that, that you can reverse your, the condition of your body. No, you can't. No, nobody wins against gravity. No, nobody wins against gravity. No, you're, you can paint it, you can pull it, you can tuck it, but it's still going to be destroyed. You can do whatever you want. But we know that those who habitate, who, those who are housed in buildings of flesh, we know that it will be destroyed. It'll be destroyed. It's, it's under a curse. And no one has come back from that. No, no one, no one gets to reverse. No, there is no fountain of youth. That's, maybe that's why I moved to, to Florida. Maybe there was that Ponce de Leon. Maybe they say he found the fountain of youth. But, but there is no, nothing that is going to reverse those things that are now dropping. There, there's no coming back from that. And Paul says, we know that this earthly tabernacle is going to be destroyed. 
If you don't believe it, just, just leave here and, and go to that, that big old park next door. Just, just go to that big park that's, that's next door and it'll tell you that this earthly tent, this earthly tabernacle, it will be destroyed. Because what is there, so will all of us. So we know that the earthly tabernacle will be destroyed, but we also know this. We know that we have another building. That's the confidence that Paul has. He doesn't hope. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't wish. He says, we know that we have another building. Let me just say something about this other building that we have. We don't contribute to its construction. It's good for us to know that. We're, we're not sending up timber. We're not building. We're not working on the building. No, I love what Paul says that God has, has, has prepared it. One of the reasons I like the fact that God has prepared it is because I am not Bob the Builder. I, I am just not good. I don't have a tool belt. I, I, don't, I don't sand. I don't cut. I, and when I was in wood class and... Uh, junior high school, my shoebox didn't look like everybody else's shoebox. And so all of us are not carpenters. So thank God that he's working on the building. Thank God that he has prepared for the building and, and that gives me confidence because if I fixed it, if I made it, it probably won't, it, it ain't gonna look too good. It, it's, it's not gonna, even if it gets the job done, it's only going to be temporarily. But here's what we know. That this body, Paul says, I am confident in this. That this body will be destroyed. And when it is destroyed, that we've got another building. And this building is not made by hand. And it's not made by man. It's made by God. And I love this. He says it's eternal in the heavens. Amen. God has, we're confident of this. We're not marching, trying. We're not hoping and wishing. We know that if we are in Christ, that when this body is destroyed and it will be destroyed, we have another building that's not made by hand, but it is eternal in the heavens. Here's the second thing that we see here. Not only does Paul talk about what he is confident in, but notice the, the, the contrast and the conflict that the confidence solves. Here's, look, look again at what he says. He talks about what, what it's like to be in this flesh. In verse 2, he says, for in this tent we groan. We groan and we long to put on another dwelling. In this tent... We know that there is pain and there is suffering. In this tent, there is all the good kind of reverses itself, doesn't it? And so Paul talks with confidence in showing us the contrast and the conflict that we have in this earthly building versus the building that we have been promised that is made for us by God himself. And he, in other words, here's why this is good. Paul doesn't want Christians to lose hope because their bodies don't work. He doesn't want Christians to think that God is mad at you because of the doctor's diagnosis. He doesn't want you to think that you must have done something wrong that supersedes God's grace. 
If you have lost your ability to think or function as you used to, he wants you to know that if you are in Christ, and that's why the day of one's birth is, or the way of the, of the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth if you are in Christ. If you are not, your troubles have just begun. Doesn't matter how you live, good or bad, when you die, if you are not in Christ, your troubles just started. But if you are in Christ, then what Paul wants you to know, he says in chapter 4, earlier, a few verses back, he says, these light afflictions, these light afflictions, and think about that, light afflictions, he says they are not worthy to be compared to the greater weight of glory that God has prepared for us. So don't judge God by what's not working in your body. That's what he wants you to know. Don't think that he's mad at you because something is not functioning the way it used to function. And he says, therefore, in this body, here's the contrast, in this body, understand that it is being destroyed. In fact, he goes on to say this. He says, if indeed... By putting on, he says that we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. And here's what it means. It means that ultimately we are reminded that the bodies that we now inhabit are mortal and they are fading away. And sometimes we make eternal decisions based on momentary pain. Isn't that what, isn't that what, what, what Esau did? He had a momentary discomfort. Oh, I'm, I'm starving. And he gave away his birthright. What Paul wants us to do, he wants Christians to be strengthened. And he wants you to have the confidence so that you can deal with the conflict and the contrast. When people say, why, if you love God, then why this? Then here's what, what Paul would have us to do. Look at your, understand that you have another home. Amen. But here's the third and final thing that we look at, and that is the confirmation. You see, there is a confidence that Paul has that we have another body. He gives us the confidence or the, the comfort of that confidence is supposed to enable us to deal with the conflict and the contrast of bodies that are fading because we have another building not made by hand. And so here's what people will say, well, how do we know? And the reason we know, what Paul says in verse 5, he says, for it is God, first off, who has prepared it. So how do we know that we have another building? Because God has prepared it. And the fact that we are attached to Christ means that we are attached to God's promises in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that all of the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus. So the promise of God for new bodies is attached to the body that was crucified and that was raised after three days and ascended into heaven after the 40 days. God has Prepared it. That's how we know. But the other reason that we know is because God has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee. 
I love this because it just gives us, it takes away a little of the fuzziness on what the Holy Spirit is for. The Holy Spirit is not to make us dance. The Holy Spirit is not given to us primarily so that we can speak in other tongues. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we would see by faith the sufficiency of God's gift of grace in the person of Jesus Christ. He has been given to us so that we could be attached by faith so that even though our bodies are failing, even though our earthly tent is being destroyed, by faith we look unto Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. Let me just give a concluding thought here. Mary has expressed Saving faith in Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are confident that as the earth, as her earthly tent has been dissolved, we are confident that her conflict has ceased. And the affliction that is associated with her mortality has given way to immortality. We know that her death is precious in the eyes of the Lord. And we know, now here's what we do know also. We, we know that, that she's waiting. She, she's, she's her soul to be absent from the body. And notice that, that phrase, absent from the body. She's absent right now from any body. She, th- this one is gone. We're about to lay this one down. And the other one is yet to come. But right now, her soul is in the presence of the Most High God. So she hasn't beat you in. She ain't walking yet. She's she's beholding the presence of the one who saved her. And here's what we know, that one day, when she gets her body, we'll have your body. You'll have yours. If you look by faith, when she gets her body, it's all on the same day. That we will be raised in bodies that are suited for his presence and his glory. We know that this earthly tent will be destroyed. And when it is, we have another building that is not made by hands. But it is eternal in the heavens. And Mary right now is looking into the one who has made it. Amen. Let us ask God's blessings. Gracious God, we come to you in the blessed name.